Hey, LifeBridge, we are recording a follow-up conversation. We, we had a conversation about the events at the Capitol last week, and it was, um, it was a pretty somber conversation, which, um, which we think was appropriate. But we want to have a follow-up conversation today where we, we look forward with, with a little bit more of a hopeful lens towards the future, and um, we wanted to bring you guys into that. And so we, we are going to be doing a little bit more of this, having conversations this was already part of our, our plan for 2021, having conversations about what's going on in culture and current events and things like that. And so often the challenge that pastors have is that we don't always want to take these conversations in, into Sunday mornings. You know, we, we, we sometimes want church to be a place that isn't always bogged down by current events and things like that, where we can talk about different things, learn about the Bible and, and worship together. But we we also don't want to we also don't want to not talk about these things because we think it is important. These are things that all of us are navigating throughout our days, be it culture, politics, uh, whatever. So we are going to be having those conversations more consistently. Um, maybe not every week, but but more consistently moving forward. And so today, again, we are talking about um, just following up with our last conversation, which you haven't heard that you can go back and listen to it. But really, the the sort of the thesis statement of that conversation was that. The Evangelical Church of America has a massive character problem. Um, that's the church that we're a part of. That's the church that we belong to, and we are acknowledging that. And um, that there's a massive character problem. And we talk. It's not just about uh, the Capitol and what happened there. It's not just about Trump. So if you haven't heard it, please go listen to it. But now we want to we want to look forward and talk about why we're still hopeful, um, why we're still a part of the Evangelical Church of America, um, and yeah, and and looking forward with hope. Yep. So when we talk about evangelical church, we're not a uh, we're not in a denomination of the evangelical church, but we think our our theology and a lot of the way we do church aligns most closely with the evangelical church. Um, so I think one of the first things that comes to mind for me and why we're still evangelical and why we're still hopeful is the 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 basic theology um, that the evangelical church stands for and the the truth, the principles that the evangelical church believes in. Uh, I still believe those. And I believe those wholeheartedly. So things like salvation by grace alone through faith in in Jesus, um, the need to share that message with the culture around us and with others, and not just to do both to live out our faith, but also to share it. Um, a lot of the, the the commitment to Scripture is huge one for me. That Scripture is God's word. Um, that it is the foundation of our life and what we believe. We hold scripture in a very high authority and a high position and even, even ethical things, mm-hmm. the commitment to, um, a orthodox view of sexuality, um, a commitment to, uh, morality in general, ethics to, to living out our faith, uh, as best we can. And according to what we see in scripture. Um, so now again, ev- evangelicalism kind of gets lumped in with a political voting block and a, uh, a view of how beliefs should be put into culture or to engage with culture in a certain way. Um, some of those things we'll disagree with, but man, the, these fundamental foundational truths of evangelicalism, I hold to wholeheartedly. And I think those aren't changing and those are the bedrock of our faith. Um, and, and those create a very stable foundation. Yeah. There's also some, both some cultural things and some theological things that I really love about um, about sort of our church tradition, I, I think about um, the basic the basic culture around kind of come as you are grace uh, for for sinners and and that's all of us, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's really good. Um, 
And when it's done well, I think that's one of the best things about the evangelical church. It's not always done well, um, but but when it is, it's 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 really good. I think I believe in the, the moving of the Holy Spirit today, and not all evangelical churches believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit today, but many do, and and um, we kind of find ourselves in that camp. So we believe in that. Um, I think there's a really a really good culture of generosity in a lot of evangelicals. Many of the the best, most generous, loving people who give of their lives, give of their finances, um, people that I know are are evangelicals. Now that might just be because those are a lot of the people I know, um, but there are there are a lot of very good people, and so even a lot of those stats you hear about evangelicals, they they tend to take a very negative lens right now. So I, you read a stat that says like seventy percent of people who attend evangelical churches don't give any money to the church, right? And so on one hand, that's really bad. On the other end, it's like, okay, but that means that there is there is this pocket of people here who is really sacrificially giving of themselves mm-hmm. to be a part of a community. And so for me, it's like, okay, if, if, if it's 30%, if it's 20%, if it's 10%, I'm excited about that group of people. I'm not just for financial reasons, but because they're willing to live sacrificially in some regard. And how can we how can we build community and build um build discipleship and build build some structure for for pursuing the way of Jesus together with those people. And so there's a lot there are a lot of issues we talked I and mean, we did a whole podcast on on just the basic fact that there are a lot of issues right now that 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 do go back to just sort of this character problem that we have where we we sometimes we prioritize effectiveness or attractiveness or power over character and just biblical grounding um and but I, I really think if we can get away from those traps, if we can get away from those things that we get tangled up in, um, I'm I'm very hopeful for the future of of this church. And we grew up in this same in in this same sort of like pretty conservative evangelical American setting, and um, there are things about that that we're we're learning differently now. But there's also a lot of things that we're we're very very grateful for, and a lot of the things we just talked about. We're so grateful to have have uh, have those values instilled to us from an early age. We grew up in a church where um, people were cared for really well. People who were down and out were cared for really well. People who were um, people who were caught in sin, so to speak, were cared for really well in a lot of instances. And um, I'm thankful for that DNA that's a part of me still um, to this day to like to want to help broken, hurting people find the love of Jesus and find loving community. And that's, I'm so, I'm so grateful to have, have grown up with that. Yeah. So if you ask me the reason that I'm still an evangelical Christian, the first one would be the theological truths that I mentioned earlier. The second one would be what you were talking about, John, the, the people, um, the people that I've known in my life who have witnessed their life being transformed. I've heard their stories. Um, we grew up in a church where we would hear stories all the time of people's lives transformed. Of, of going from uh, maybe maybe uh, rock bottom addiction or or just living in sin to finding Jesus and to over time transforming their life. Hearing those stories time and time again and not just hearing them but being in a community where we were able to see those principles, um, those commitments to faith lived out. I can I can go down a list of a number of people who I've watched their life, be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, my dad is at the top of that list, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start crying even thinking about it. You know me, I'm a crier. Um, but watching him go from a rugged, kind of impulsive, 
uh, guy on the farm to who he is today mm-hmm. and watching his, his care, his compassion, his love for hurting people, how he would drop anything to go help somebody, how he'll, um, he'll go, he'll go there, he'll go anywhere mm-hmm. into some of the darkest places to love people and to show them the gospel of Jesus. And his constant, um, reminder to me is I always just love people. Like, how are you loving people? That just rings in my head so clearly. It's not just a theological principle of God's love and grace. I've seen it played out in his life and many others' lives. The love of God that they have experienced in salvation, giving to their friends, their family, their people in need, and through those experiences of watching their lives change, experiencing that change in my own life from selfishness to uh, to more loving towards concern, concern for others. Um, that's, that's number two for me, mm-hmm. uh, besides the theological truths. It, it, number two is my experience and watching the others be changed. I think one of the, one of the things that we navigate, we've talked about this a lot and I think it's difficult sometimes for people because we end up in, you know, the way the world is with everything. You talk about media, you talk about whatever you want to talk about, but like they're, they're, there's two sides of things and, and you always feel like you need to either be on this side or not be on that side. Right. And I think one of the things that we've, we've done over the last number of years um, is what I would call a certain amount of grateful deconstruction. So when I say grateful deconstruction and reconstruction, honestly, of so, and what I mean by that is having a ton of gratitude for the way we were raised and a ton of gratitude for the foundations that are in us because of the way we were raised, but also um, while still maintaining those foundations, um, untangling some of the things that we were taught, um, and not even always taught directly, um, but but just sort of were inferred, or however, however we caught some of the things that we caught, untangling some of that stuff. Um, and so I think it's really difficult for people, because whether you talk about I mean, a, a really big topic right now is critical theory, right? And this idea that like um, we can look through, we can look at everything in our world and all structures in our world through this very, um, basically assuming that power was uh, wielded for bad reasons always in every case. And we're also looking at all these like old power structures through 2021's eyes and saying, and calling everything problematic and everything else, right? But it's possible, it's possible to, Instead of that, and also instead of blindly just saying, America is the best country in the world, Christians are the best people in the world, and I'm not going to hear negative anything about anything. Instead of doing either of those things, it's possible to be grateful for the things you were taught and also try to say, okay, but what can we, what can we do a little differently? What can we do a little better? I think about that with my family. You know, um, My parents would never contend that they've done a perfect job parenting. Um, but they were really, really, really good parents. And I am so grateful for the way I was raised. I'm so grateful for so many things I think about. I think about things like um, getting in an accident with my dad's car and knowing and knowing that he was going to be calm and loving about it before he showed up. A lot of people don't have that growing up, right? And so I'm so thankful for so many things about how I was raised there are still things I'm going to do differently than my parents. It's because of my parents that I'm going to, I'm actually equipped to do things differently than, than they did. And I think the, te- like I, I think the telltale sign of a great parent is that they did better than their parents. 
And my parents, I think, did better than their parents. And um, both of them on both sides. And so I'm so thankful for that. Um, I am going to do some things differently. And they, I mean, if they hear this, they know that already. So this is not like news to them. But it's not because I'm not grateful. It's not because I'm harboring this bitterness for the way I was raised or the things they missed or whatever. I should do differently. And when I raise my kids, I want to raise them well enough that they can grow up and say, dad was a really good dad. Here's a few things I'm going to do differently. Mm-hmm. That's actually a sign, I think, of, of really good parenting. So the same thing when we think about our faith or our church uh, or our, our nation, we can, we can think critically about something, critical thinking, not just being critical, right? We can deconstruct and reconstruct with good intentions, with gratitude, and um, with a heart that is for um, finding a better, a better path forward for the way of Jesus and, and for, for the church community. And so that's our heart when you hear this. And I think sometimes people immediately go to like, you know, if you don't like America, then leave. If you don't like the evangelical church, then leave. You're beating up the bride, whatever it is. That's not our heart at all. We love, we love the, the church that we're a part of, and we want to carry it forward. Absolutely. And when you talk about it from the parenting lens, um, generational parenting, um, I think, again, it's so important for us to hold these basic truths we can deconstruct a lot of our faith, a lot of our thinking, but when it comes to those those basic core principles of our faith, that's what keeps the foundation strong. Um, at least that was that's what it was in my life that I kept thinking in, through seminary before seminary, coming coming back to those basic theological principles as truth. So I deconstructed to those, I reexamined those even, but those building blocks never changed, and then when we begin to apply those to the culture around us, the culture today looks way different than it did 30, 40 years ago when I was a kid. Right. Um, And my parents were parenting me. So I can look back and say, like, they did a great job in that culture with the information that they had. They did better than their parents. They did such a good job with all of that stuff. So grateful for what they have done. Um, But, like, my kids are going to have the same experience that I did. When they're adults, they're going to be in a completely different culture and my hope is that they'll be able to apply the same truths of Scripture and the same, uh, the same basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus into their cultural experience. And it will be different. It will be unique. Mm-hmm. But we want to build those basic building blocks and principles into their life and into their experience because they're going to do things different than me. And when we come to the church, this is where we have to identify what those basic truths are, mm-hmm. cling to those, um, we, we've, you've likely heard the phrase like in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty in all things, charity. I think that's what we need to get back to as, as a church is focusing on unity in the essentials. Um, there can be liberty in the non-essentials, things like political persuasions and ideas, mm-hmm. but it all has to be, uh, seasoned with grace. Um, or love is another word. Charity is another way of thinking of it. Uh, but the same concept is at play, love. We have to build our, our life and our relationships on love. I think one of the, one of the areas where we are going to continue, I think we need to get even better at it, is when we see, when we see unloving behavior um, connected to a cause, um, speaking out about a political thing on Facebook in a way that's unloving, speaking out, um, calling someone out on something in a way that's unloving. I think that's an area where we have to do a better job 
of of calling people out on that, right? We don't we shouldn't just call people out when um when they get something wrong. We should call people out when they get something right in a very unloving way because that is getting it wrong, right? So, but I want to pivot to looking at the way forward. So, when we talk about moving forward and why we have hope looking forward, I don't want to just keep that generic and broad. Let's get into some specifics. What do you see as reasons that we should have hope moving forward? Yeah, Mark Sayers wrote a book called Disappearing Church a while ago, and at the end of the book, he says what gives him hope, and that's the final section of the book, and he begins with this kind of equation that I think is really helpful for us to think through right now. He, he says, when you have a new cultural landscape, that's the first part of the equation, uh, which I think we're, we're in right now. Um, we're in a time where the landscape of our culture is shifting, it's changing, um, evangelicals don't have as much influence in the public square as we did before. Things are changing, um, and they are changing really rapidly because of communication. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot there, but I, I think it's fair to say that our cultural landscape is changing. He says when you have that mixed with faithful orthodoxy, which is kind of what we've been talking about, that we we want to uh, our faith is based on orthodox truth and the truth of Scripture and God's Word. And not Orthodox as in like Eastern Orthodox. I know that's kind of a big churchy word for, for some folks, but we just mean the, the foundational truths of Scripture, um, of who God is, who Jesus is, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we're saved by grace through faith, those Orthodox principles. And what Scripture is, that Scripture is the ultimate authority for our life and for truth. Uh, when we have a new cultural landscape with faithful Orthodoxy, and then we combine that with courageous creative responses, that it's going to take courage to stand up for the truth, for those faithful orthodox principles. It's going to take courage to do that as the cultural landscape shifts, especially away from evangelical influence. Um, when we, and can be creative with that, to rethink some, some structures that have, that have existed for a while but aren't part of the basic foundational truths of Scripture. Um, an example of that would be like Sunday morning, how Sunday morning looks, the purpose of, of uh, the, the sermon, how, how, we're, how we're planning sermons, how we're planning the Sunday morning experience. Obviously, there's some essentials in there, like preaching the word, worship and community, uh, communion. Th- those things aren't, those are staples, those are staying, but just how we implement those on a Sunday morning those can be some creative response things that we do, how mm-hmm. we interact with the culture, how we live in community with one another, how we love other people in our communities. Those things, there's plenty of room for creative responses there. When we do those three things, then the new cultural landscape, we maintain orthodox principles and truth. Uh, and we combine that with creative, courageous responses. We have an opportunity to revitalize the church and our culture. And I think a couple of the things that I see coming out of this that are really good are an opportunity for us to go deeper with a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Sayers mentions this, that we we stop focusing on celebrity, we stop focusing just on on numbers, on butts and seats, on Sunday morning, and all of that stuff. And we, we really begin to dive into the core elements of discipleship, those hard principles of the Sermon on the Mount, of, right. of loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, of uh, faithfulness to... God into his word, to prayer, um, to fasting, the, those basic um, uh, disciplines of the Christian faith that have helped Christians grow for the last 2,000 years. We can invest in those with fewer people 
because it's impossible to really grow in our relationship with Christ and to invest in those principles and grow deeper on a large scale. We need close, intimate relationships with others around us where we can challenge each other, where we can know that we are loved and we can practice loving other people. That's, that's so important. I think that's something that has been changing in the landscape of the evangelical church in the last decade. I think that's a good change and that's something that we need to rework. I think as pastors, we have to stay focused on the church we want to be a part of and not, not the job that we want. Mm-hmm. Because I think the job, it does growing a church and having staff and having um, huge movements of people doing outreach projects and all those, those things, like that job sounds fun to me, mm-hmm. right? But I have to instead, I, I would like that job, you know? But I don't want to pursue the job that I want. I want to pursue the church that I believe I need, right? And not just for, for, for me and my family, right? So rather than pursue rather than pursue a model of church that allows me to have, have a job that sounds appealing, I need to pursue a model of church that says, okay, what do I actually need from me? I need deep community. I need authenticity. I need, um, I need to be able to speak truth. I need to, be, I need to be a part of a church, and I need my kids to be a part of a, a church where the truth is faithfully spoken, um, whether convenient or not. Um, and so those are the things that when we talk about what our actual church looks like, um, that's the lens we try to use, you know. Um, and if, if you haven't figured this out yet, you know, having conversations like this, approaching Sunday mornings the way we do, approaching some other things the way we do, is not the way to grow a big church, Um and maybe we wouldn't even be able to, if, if all we were trying to do is grow a big church, maybe we'd still not. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that is not what we're pursuing. And, um, and we think that we are actually really hopeful about that and, and, and being in community with people who are also hopeful about that. From my pastor's perspective, the, and this may not be as helpful for you, but from my perspective, it is such a privilege, it is such a joy for me on Sunday morning to go up there and begin preaching and to look out and see see people that I genuinely love and I really care about and that know me. That's one of my big checks as a pastor is if I'm looking out on Sunday morning and not a lot of people really know me mm-hmm. and who I am and what I'm about and, and know my, my family, my personal life, like that's a problem. And there's a lot of good that comes of that. There's a lot of authentic- authenticity that comes of that. And what that means is a, an entirely different style of church and thinking of the church institution in a completely different way. Um, part of my thinking on this has also been around uh, a Sabbath rest day. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, when can I rest? So as a pastor, we always tend to think of Sundays as work days. Mm-hmm. And for me, part of the switch has been to think of Sunday not as a work day, but of Sunday as just the church coming together to worship God mm-hmm. collectively in community where my part in this is to preach the message. Like that, that's just my role mm-hmm. in this and what the, what I'm called to do in the church. Um, and, and everybody there has something else that, that they're actively doing throughout the week or through on Sunday that it, it's this community worship experience and I'm just participating. And so Sunday can still be my rest day. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I'm viewing it through that lens, I can find deep rest, joy, and peace in in Sunday morning, even mm-hmm. though I do have a lot to do, but I just love it. I love it so much. 
Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing on Sundays when I lead music is when I don't have to sing because everyone's singing loud. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that, for me, it's like, like my community is carrying me right now, you know, and there's nothing, um, there's nothing I like honestly more than those moments of, of our times of, of singing songs together and worshiping together in that way um, because that really is, that is, that really is our heartbeat. We want to be a part of a community of people mm-hmm. that we deeply know and love and that deeply know and love us mm-hmm. uh, and, and pursue Jesus with that group of people. It's so much more that, and it's so much less um, about building a big movement. And then when you build a big movement, you have to take some things out. You have to take some hard conversations off the table. They just don't fit the game plan anymore. Uh, and some of that stuff, we want to have those hard conversations because we want the deep authentic community with the few, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was just joking with a friend the other day that like, because of COVID and because every church in America is shrinking right now, it's like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of churches right now figuring out that it was never about the numbers in the first place was the joke I made. Um, but if, I mean, you can talk to anybody who's on our leadership team or um, these are conversations we've been having for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, this is, um, we're really excited. We're really excited about this coming year. We actually really do have a lot of hope for, for the way forward. Um, we also, we have a lot of hope for, for what we call kingdom theology and the idea of pursuing um, the kingdom and the king together. Mm-hmm. Want to talk a little bit about what, what we mean when we say that? Yeah, because there's one, um, there, within Christianity in, at large, there's, there's uh, some liberation theologies are example of this or some other theologies that pursue the kingdom without the king where they focus solely on social justice, they focus solely on, on issues of today without a lot of talk of Jesus. Um, and there's a whole nother wing of Christianity where we talk about Jesus and personal salvation a lot and getting to heaven and kind of escaping this world is the underlying theme to the, that theology that says this world is going to burn and we don't need to, you know, we don't need to engage. We think both are wrong. Um, we want to pursue the kingdom of God here with Jesus, knowing full well that um, pursuing justice, pursuing um, these, some of the things that tend to be labeled as social justice, like uh, like racial reconciliation, pursuing mm-hmm. those things are really important for us. Right. Um, that we think the church should be about and the church should be doing with the personal salvation message as well. Right. And those things can happen when we don't think about this mission as a short-term mission trip, but we think about it as an incarnate community of us living here doing all of it, <laughs> doing Jesus, um, the Jesus message, um, doing social justice here in community at the same time. Um, knowing full well that we won't accomplish it until Jesus returns in full, but we're going to continue to strive for it. Right. I'm just going to restate what you said because I think it's so important. I'm just going to use my words so that maybe that helps someone else really grasp mm-hmm. it. But I think of kingdom without the king being like a, a heavenly focus in the sense that it's like, as long as I know I'm getting into heaven, mm-hmm. my job is done. And we don't believe that, that that's what we're called to as Christians is to, is to make sure we're getting into heaven or even make sure that we and the people we know are getting into heaven. Mm-hmm. We are called to work for the common good on earth. We are called to do what's good, not just for ourselves or for other Christians, but for all image bearers of God. And that's all human beings. So we believe that 100%. So when you talk about racial reconciliation, we talk about poverty, we talk a lot about a lot of those things. We believe that we're called to do those things, and not always just so that we can also uh, go through the Romans road with people. Sometimes just doing good is 
part of our gospel call. We 100% believe that. At the same time, we do believe in salvation. We do believe in, um, in salvation through through Christ alone. And we also believe that our, um, our world will not be reconciled to God fully until Christ's return. So we're, we're called to pursue it, but also keep a humility about ourselves of knowing that Jesus Christ is going to complete that work. And that's kingdom and king put together as a theology. And it, that's not an idea we made up. Um, Mark Sayers talks about that. Um, N.T. Wright talks about that. I think he usually says the kingdom and the cross, but he really good stuff about that as well. Yeah. So that is that is where we find ourselves theologically in, in pursuing those things together. It's not one or the other. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It was never meant to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pursue those things together, and that we are really hopeful about. Um, and those are things that we'll fight for. Sayers also talks about an idea called withdraw and return in this book where, and we see this with the apostle Paul, we see this with Jesus even when he spends 40 days in the wilderness where he withdraws and then he returns to do ministry. So in that withdraw time, you focus a lot on your personal development, upon on worship and, and who God is and who you are in that withdraw phase. And, and you kind of like reset your thinking, reset re- your values, reset uh, your, your worship and then you return to re-engage. Um, John, you talk about that a little bit, so why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so even, even with that, I- that idea, um, withdraw and return, I think about the things that we have as idols. And, and so often in, in the American church and in church in general, the things that we idolize, which when I say that, I just mean we put them in front of Jesus and we, we value them above Jesus. Those things aren't, aren't always like inherently evil things. We don't idolize like you know, um, just always atrocities. Oftentimes, it's it's things that we the, um, there's always this like um, there's this allure of like oh gosh if, if we could get the right people if we could get the right people in media if we could get the right people in politics if we could get the right people in the right places um, then we could have a lot of influence in culture. But we end up we end up rather than evang- rather than evangelizing. Um, the political sphere, we are evangelized by it. Mm-hmm. And and pretty soon it's an idol over Jesus for us. Or so rather than evangelizing um, whatever, the Instagram, <laughs> we are evangelized <laughs> by it. Who cares what the thing is? The point is mm-hmm. we are evangelized by those things. And so, and when we see that happening in our lives, um, this withdraw and return idea is really good because it's to step away from something, to try to get back to the basics of the way of Jesus and then, and then uh, to re-engage when we feel like we can do that faithfully. So I, I want to talk about my, my, um, my relationship with politics over the last 10 years or so. As a young kid, I mean, I, I grew up in, in conservative evangelical church, and there was a point at which I honestly, I, I don't know, I think I got into a couple like kind of dust-ups about, about politics with people, and uh, I just realized that I really didn't know very much about it. And so I did a little bit of digging. And what I realized was I, I was not in a place. I was not in a place with politics to, um, to faithfully engage in it. I just, it, that wasn't my relationship with it. And I, I can give other examples of that with when I, when I sort of uh, came back to faith and some of the some of the things about my lifestyle before that, I had to I had to disengage with some people, not because I didn't care about them anymore, but just because I knew I was going to be evangelized by them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to evangelize them, right? right? 
And later I re-engaged with some of those people and actually did evangelize some of them and, and have baptized a couple of them. But at that time, I wasn't ready to do that. And I think right now where the American church is at is some of us are being evangelized by politics. And for some of us, we might need to withdraw for a time. And it might not be politics for you. It might be something else. But part of the way forward might start with withdraw with with withdrawing from from something. Uh, Andy Stanley, who is um, who's written a ton of books, has this thing called the principle of the path, and he talks about the idea that if you're on the wrong path for a long time, you don't get to instantly just once you realize it, you're not back on the right path yet. You have to walk it back. You have to walk it back. So for the American Church right now, when we talked about this character problem. It's not as simple as saying, okay, we need to not have a character problem anymore, and then, and then we're back to ground zero. No, it's, it's, okay, identifying how we ended up with a character problem, how we ended up in a place where, where things like politics, things like celebrity, things like someone's physical appearance, things like someone's influence, these things, for whatever reason, they matter more to us than they should. How do we walk those things back? And a lot of it might be about withdrawing for a time. Until you feel like you can, re- so if you if you're on Instagram right now and you're saying, I'm on Instagram because I really feel like I can I can be a good influence, even though there's so much bad influence on here, I think I could be a good influence. Or I'm on Facebook because even though there's so much bad influence, I think I might be able to be a good influence. Be honest with yourself. Can you faithfully engage in that right now, or do you need to withdraw at least for a time? Politically, be honest with yourself. Is your engagement in this right now faithful? If it is not. Are you able to faithfully engage? If you can't, you might need to disengage from a time. For a time. To be honest with you, this is this is a little bit harsh, but a lot of Christians are addicted to politics. We are addicted to politics. We're addicted to the rage. We're addicted to the us versus them. We're addicted to that um, that value system. And we're not going to stop being addicted by simply saying, okay, moving forward, I'm going to do better. I think there is a disengagement process that some of us have to go through. We need to walk away. We need to withdraw from these things for a time. And then as we walk back that path, there will come a time, if we're faithfully pursuing Jesus, there will come a time where you will grow and you'll be ready to faithfully re-engage. I, I think I didn't vote in... There was an election in there one time I didn't vote because I was just like, I was in the middle of it and I was like, I had to get over the idea that it was my civic duty and I had to do it no matter what because I just knew where I was at. I can't engage in this right now. And um, I think some of us, we need to treat politics as an addiction that we need to kick. We need to go cold turkey for a while. I think our addiction to celebrities sometimes, we we might need to go cold turkey on some of that stuff. Um, that could look like that could look like a completely walking away from politics. It could look like a media fast. It could look like a lot of things, but we might need to walk away from more. And this isn't just for conservatives. I we we do not see progressivism and the way of Jesus particularly well aligned at all. Mm-hmm. And so we don't talk about that as much. We we talk about uh, we talk about it more from the conservative side more, and where that goes wrong. The reason we do that is because that's what's in our church. And we're we're not trying to preach to the choir and tell everyone what's wrong with progressivism all the time and get a bunch of uh, get a standing ovation. That's stupid. But we don't see a lot of alignment between progressivism and the way of Jesus either. So whether you're conservative or progressive, 
be honest with yourself. Are you are you even able to faithfully engage in this right now? Or might this be a time where you need to withdraw for a while? Social media, all, all the normal stuff. We know. We all know what the stuff that is keeping us, that's toxic for our life and is keeping us from Jesus is. But if we're not willing to be to really take that next step and say, I'm going to disengage. I'm going to withdraw from this. Um, then we're not going to be able to walk back those steps. That to, When we ask the question, how do we get here? Well, we walked in the wrong direction for a long time. We have to start walking in the right. All we can do, when we, rather than now pivot and say, okay, but I'm, I've got huge problems with the left. I've got huge problems with this. I've got huge problems with cancel culture. Instead, pivot just around. Just do a 180 and start walking back some of the things that brought us to the place that we are. For me, I know what those things are. And sometimes it's politics. Sometimes it's other stuff. But I know when I need to withdraw. I don't always know it right away. I don't always see it right away. But I, I've, I've learned to be honest with myself and say, I can't do this faithfully right now. And that's what it, I think that's what it takes for a lot of us. What crisis does for all of us, and this last year has certainly felt like a crisis, is it kind of pressure tests us or it, it puts us through, uh, to use the biblical phrase, the refining fire, right? It forces us to see where our, where our impurities are, where our, our roots don't go deep. And I think that's what we're seeing for a lot of the evangelical church right now is a lot of it is, is kind of show and the roots don't go deep. So the really big opportunity that I see here uh, in, in this current cultural climate for the church is, is to develop an inner life with God. We've been talking about that a lot this year, but what, what you were just saying, John, about knowing yourself well enough, like that comes from having a deep inner life with God, a deep experience of who he is, knowing, knowing God, um, experiencing his grace, experiencing his goodness, practicing the disciplines, like going back to just sitting alone, quiet in a room, reflecting on your heart, repenting, um, all of these things. That every study that I've ever read about how Christians grow, it goes back to the disciplines that have been around for the last 2,000 years. So we have to get back to prayer and, and in, this, in this time where it feels like a crisis to me, maybe it doesn't to you, it certainly does to me, um, for the evangelical church to go back to um, these disciplines of developing an inner life with God, of repentance and prayer and fasting and, and true authentic worship, reflecting on our heart, things like Sabbath, resting, like these countercultural um, aspects to the Christian life that are going to be tough, but we got to get back to those to develop true uh, character and roots that go deep. Yeah. And so we really are, I mean, we've already started to try to double down on the right things. You know, you guys know that our sermon now on Sunday mornings is basically just a daily devotional, um, put together. And that's because we are trying to, we are trying to be about the things that we think actually disciple people in the way of Jesus. And one of those things is those, those daily disciplines. And we, that's going to continue this coming year. Um, we are really actually, very excited. We're very excited. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, coming through, I mean, by far, it's not even close, the hardest year our church has had. Yep. But it's been so good because we we see so many opportunities for real discipleship and growth. Um, and we've we a lot of that has been um, exposed over this last year. A lot of a lot of conversations that would have been very difficult to have were forced. And there's a lot of good things that have happened and we're really we really are excited about moving forward. And um, 
And we're, we hope you're excited too. We hope that you are in a place where you can say this is, this is worth doing. Putting, figuring out how to untangle the way of Jesus from the other stuff in my life is worth doing. Doing it in community is worth doing it. Doing it with other people who are willing to be to go deep and be authentic and real about it is worth doing. That's what we want to do in this coming year. We hope you'll come along with us. We also want to hear from you. Uh, feedback on this areas where you see maybe maybe you maybe the stuff we hit on is in terms of the things that we've had to untangle for ourselves uh, or that we see for the church. Maybe you you have something else in mind, and we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Um, but thank you so much for for listening. <laughs>